The climb up was not the most exciting experience. Every step I took, I was stepping on wet grass or sheep poop. But then there was a point when we were climbing up that the ground became more solid. There were more rocks, more things that made me feel less likely to slip and hit my face. For me, I felt as I was climbing this mountain that the creation story was unfolding before my eyes. God, who had hovered over the formless earth and little by little made it more solid, was playing out the story live as I went from walking on formless mud and poop to something more solid. And as that happened, I realized in that moment that God is really like a rock. It's written everywhere in scripture that God is an anchor and a rock. You see it in the Psalms, in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament. And while I know this to be true, I don't always feel it. And in light of the hot mess that 2020 was, I needed that reminder again that God is my rock. 2020 did rock me, however. Although not new, the resurgence of the racial justice movement after George Floyd's death and countless others was a lot, to put it lightly. It was encouraging to see more people engage with it, but also draining and painful to once again be reminded that people with skin like mine are still seen as a threat in the U.S. And that's not to mention my job uncertainty, rapid planning for a virtual world almost overnight, and the social isolation this pandemic brought on. And these things take a toll on you after a while. For the better part of it all, I found myself in a tough place emotionally, mentally, physically, and even spiritually. Most difficult was this veil that I felt between me and God. And before, if anything in my life was falling apart, but my time with God was good, then I could manage. But this was the first time I felt this deep separation from God. I asked God so many times, can you please take this veil away? Lord, everything is falling apart. Let me feel your presence at least. And surprisingly, despite feeling as if there was a veil between me and God, I still knew he was on the other side of the veil. I knew God was still with me and he had not abandoned me. That was Sarah Timberlake, an architectural designer in Detroit, Michigan, describing her ascent up Crow Patrick, a mountain believed to be the place where Patrick fasted for 40 days. While studying abroad in Barcelona in 2015, Sarah and a handful of other students made the challenging climb up this mountain as part of a week-long pilgrimage called Journey Ireland, offered by InterVarsity Study Abroad. In our first two walks, we entered into the inspiration and the challenge of Patrick's story. Patrick, transformed by God's love, returned to love his oppressors. Patrick, rooted in God's protection, boldly faced the political, religious, and cultural powers around him. But as Patrick continued his ministry in Ireland, he needed to be rooted in the presence of God's Spirit with him. Following the example of Jesus, who also took time and space for spiritual preparation, Patrick needed to be grounded 
in the spirit and in God's power in him if he was going to be able to complete his wandering journey. And so Patrick made his way up a mountain. To this day, Crow Patrick is a place considered by many to be holy ground, where people go to retrace his steps. Some even go so far as making the trek up on their knees or with bare feet. While InterVarsity's participants don't go to such extremes on their hikes, they certainly have powerful encounters with God on the way up, at the summit, and on the way back down. But before we hear more about their experiences and about Patrick's experience with God on this Irish mountaintop, let's prepare to meet with God ourselves. What do you do when you want to capture a special moment? If you're like most people, you pull out your phone and take a photo. If we're honest with ourselves though, always looking to capture a scene, especially to portray it in a particular way for social media, can prohibit us from being fully present to the moment itself. Some of our clear and vivid memories aren't necessarily tied to something we've seen. Memories are just as much connected to a different sense as they are to our sense of sight. In fact, our sense of smell is hardwired to parts of our brains that regulate emotion and store memories. Sometimes when I smell leather, I am immediately dropped into my dad's old Ford station wagon en route to my Little League baseball games with my new leather glove he had bought me. As often as he could, he would take me to games and rooted me on when I was the pitcher for my team. Even now, when I pick up a leather baseball glove, I remember the feelings of being nervous on the pitching mound, but also being loved and supported by the presence of my dad cheering me on from the sidelines. For today's walk, I invite you to take mental snapshots with your senses. Certainly, take a, a mental picture of something that catches your eye. But can you also walk with your other senses alert and ready to capture something interesting? This could be a slight breeze that caresses your face, the aroma of a restaurant, some bird song that delights your ears, or the soft give of thirst-quenched soil after a much-needed rain. Let's practice. Begin by taking a moment to settle your body. Take a few deep breaths in through your nose and out of your mouth. Pay attention to your body right at this moment. Notice how you feel in your body. Notice how you feel emotionally. 
What do you hear? What do you smell? What do you see? What can you touch? Focus on one of these senses and simply notice it. What are the qualities? What is unique about it? What does it remind you of? As you continue your walk now, feel free to pause the audio and capture two or three other sensory snapshots. And if you want, you could even stop to describe them in words or draw them in your journal, if you have it with you. This kind of attentiveness can be challenging at first, but keep at it. It gets easier with practice. As we prepare to pray along with Psalm 121 in a few moments, allow your pace and your breath to fall into a comfortable rhythm. If you're unfamiliar with breath prayer, it's a beautiful ancient Christian practice that integrates our physical bodies with scripture and prayer. Job chapter 33 verse 4 says, For the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. With breath prayer, we acknowledge this truth with our physical bodies. Breath prayer uses only a few words taken from a passage of scripture that then we repeat silently while breathing in and out. It takes the pressure off our busy brains for a little while to figure out what to say to God. Of course, God loves to hear what we have to say, but in choosing to say less sometimes, we remind ourselves that God doesn't need us to say a lot in order to respond to our prayers. Listen now to Psalm 121, and I'll come back afterwards with a suggested phrase to pray. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. 
The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. There are several phrases in this psalm about how the Lord protects us, how again and again he can be relied upon to watch over us, to keep us from all harm. As our feet take us along the path before us today, whether it's concrete or dirt, let's remind ourselves of God's presence with us in each step by praying the phrase, he will not let my foot slip. As you continue to walk, spend the next few minutes breathing in and out with this phrase in mind. He will not let my foot slip. 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 When you notice your mind wandering, just use that opportunity to bring your attention back to God, the one who grounds us in the present moment in our very next step, and then return to the phrase, He will not let my foot slip. He will not let my foot slip. Continue this breath prayer on your own while the music plays. And if you'd like more time, just press pause.
Hi, I'm Alexis Barnhart, and I'm on staff with InterVarsity at Bryn Mawr and Haverford College. But in 2017, I was a study abroad student on pilgrimage in Ireland, and I remember all too well the tiresome climb up Krug Patrick. Our group knew where we were headed, and yet the way was wandering, mucky, and insecure. Like much of Ireland, the land is marshy. It almost feels bouncy, absorbing water like a sponge. You're sure the mud is ready to grab you. With each step, it's a wonder you don't fall, a wonder you keep going, what with all the sheep poop squishing under your boots. From the bottom of the mountain, the top seemed far away, especially when each step was a balancing act and required a lot of focus. When we finally made it to the top, exhausted, yet elated, I looked out at the land and the sea. For miles, it stretched out before me, green and blue and magnificent. I was aware of how simply being, simply existing with the wind whipping around me and the sun on my skin, felt like a prayer. I was swept up in the beauty of this place, and it was as if the land stirred me to worship. Early in his ministry, the stories say that Patrick set out to summit this mountain that is now named after him. In his time, it was known as Cruachego and was already considered a sacred mountain, a, quote, thin place where it felt easier to find connection between heaven and earth. Patrick would have made the trek up the mountain ridge feeling the mud and rocky terrain under his feet with each step. Maybe as he climbed, he heard the distant sounds of people working in the valley below. Or perhaps a stray mountain sheep joined him at times. As he gained elevation, he may have slowed down to catch his breath, to carefully find his footing among the loose rock fragments that covered the final steep climb of the summit. At last, at the top of the mountain, Patrick stayed for 40 days and 40 nights, fasting and praying. During his weeks-long fast, Patrick likely experienced the intense clashing of Irish weather conditions. On a clear, sunny day, the view from the peak of Crowpatrick is breathtaking. You can see the crystal clear water of Clue Bay sparkling miles away, carved out by the patient movement of glaciers. Between the mountain edge and the water, you can see acres and acres of lush green pastures. But many days, the summit is fierce, covered in clouds and fog with no protection from the wind or rain. Alexis, whom you heard from a minute ago, experienced this herself at the summit. As I stood atop Krogpatrick, mesmerized by the beauty surrounding me, 
clouds suddenly swept in. They came from behind me, encircled where I stood, until all I could see was through a gap in the gray wall. It was as if that moment I'd felt God so close to me just before was gone. I stood on the same land, but now my sight was blurred. I was so frustrated. Again, I was made aware of the exhaustion in my body, of the weary journey to get up there. I longed for another glimpse, a taste of wonder. I longed for the clarity of vision, but everything was gray. Our group had been learning about St. Patrick's time on this same mountaintop, and I wondered, could it have been similar for him up here? With the sea behind him, the land stretched out before him, just beautiful. And then that beauty suddenly morphed by strong winds, spitting rain, days of gray. Did Patrick experience the same push and pull of creation, this tug of war that I was feeling? Did Patrick struggle to see God enveloped in the thick fog? At that time in my life, a lot of change was ahead of me. After my studies in Scotland, I'd be heading back to the U.S. soon to start my last semester of college. I was approaching a crossroads. Once I graduated, what would be next? The path that lay ahead of me was unclear. Like the way I felt physically from climbing up Kirkpatrick, I was weary and unsure what awaited me on the other side of my life. I took comfort remembering that after the tiring journey to get to the mountain summit, the Holy Spirit had met me and filled me with a wonderful sense of peace. And yet, when the fog rolled in, it not only covered what I saw with my eyes, but what I felt with my spirit, too. This was the same push and pull of my soul. In one moment, I found trust and companionship with God's Spirit. I knew it would be okay. In the next, I was irritated and unclear about what God was stirring inside of me. And once again, I was fearful and tired. Where do things feel foggy or unclear in your own life? Are you on the cusp of a big change or a decision that needs to be made? Does the path you'd envisioned for your life no longer look like you expected? As you walk now, imagine God walking with you, that he is there present with you. Take a moment to invite God into the cloudiness of whatever phase of life or circumstances stand before you. Imagine offering to God the parts of your life where you long for clarity. You might even hold your hands in an open posture to let your body mirror walking with God this way.
We can only wonder what Patrick thought about while he was alone on that mountain. Maybe he reflected on his life's journey and all he'd been through that had brought him to this place, his captivity and enslavement, how he encountered God in a new way on another mountain, Slemish. Maybe he remembered his escape and return home to freedom and his unexpected calling to return to the land and people of Ireland. Maybe he remembered God's protection as he lit the Paschal fire on another high place, the hill of slain. Perhaps he remembered the people who'd responded to his message, whom he baptized in the name of the Trinity. And perhaps he also thought of everything that lay ahead of him as he followed God the places that he did not know yet, the paths that he had not yet taken, the people whom he had not yet met. There's a popular legend that says that during those 40 days of fasting and prayer, Patrick cast out the snakes from the island forever. Although we now know that this is only a tale, because scientists tell us they're never were snakes in Ireland. The legend symbolizes one of the reasons Patrick was on this mountaintop. He was engaging in 40 days of spiritual battle. He was seeking God's good for the land and its people. He was praying against everything that would bring harm, any evil, any idolatry, any corruption, any false prophets. He came to this mountaintop seeking God's strength, seeking God's vision of good for the land, seeking God's direction. But above all, he was seeking God's presence. Patrick wasn't the first person to climb a mountain to seek God's presence. Throughout history, people have considered mountaintops to be sacred places the way the peaks reach high into the clouds and seem to meet the heavens. The Bible is full of stories of God encountering people at critical moments on mountaintops. In fact, there's a critical moment early on as God was forming the people of Israel. He summoned their leader, Moses, to meet him on the top of Mount Sinai for 40 days and nights. God gave Moses a covenant for the people and instructions for the good way to live, the way of life, the way of wholeness. God commanded that they worship no other gods and promised to be their God, to protect and deliver them to the land that was promised to Abram so many years earlier. But when Moses descended from this mountain, the people had already begun worshiping a golden calf in his absence. They were impatient with waiting on a God that they couldn't see with their own eyes, a God whose presence felt obscure and hidden. They wanted a golden calf. They wanted a God that they could see with their eyes and touch with their hands. They wanted a God that they could manipulate and control. When God saw how quickly the people had abandoned him, the Lord tells Moses, Quote, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
saying, I will give it to your descendants. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you. Thankfully, that's not where the story ends. Exodus chapter 33, verses 12 through 17. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, Lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. It would have been easy for Moses to give up in that spiritual battle between the Israelites' false idol and God. But Moses remembered God's promises. He remembered that God knew him by name. After 40 days and nights on the mountaintop with this God, Moses wasn't satisfied with anything less than God's presence. There were still so many unknowns about the journey that lay before Moses and the people he was responsible to lead. It seemed that the people had made their decision. They would leave God. They would not follow the instructions of the covenant. They would not follow the good way, the way of life that God offered them. God would still keep up his end of the covenant and see them safely to the promised land. But God told Moses that he would not go with them. And yet, in this critical moment, Moses refused to accept that decision. Instead of trying to go it alone, he returned to the tent of meeting to be with God. Moses knew that the only way to navigate the path before them was by being with God, by clinging to God's presence. This is where Moses put his trust in the midst of uncertainty. The prize of a promised land without God's presence was worthless. Moses knew that God's presence was the path to life. From this place of being rooted in God's presence, Moses interceded for the people he led. He pleaded for God's presence to stay with them on their journey. For us, as for Moses, the destination is usually not the point. During times of uncertainty or trial, we can set our hope on a light at the end of the tunnel. We can fixate on some external thing that we're holding out for, something that we think will make things better. 
we can fixate on a need to know what exactly the future holds. And yet, we miss out on a deeper invitation to God's presence in the here and now. The thing that will carry us forward is not a, a light at the end of the tunnel or a map of the future. The thing that will carry us is God's presence. The invitation is to seek God's presence. The invitation is to walk with God. So as you literally walk with God now, imagine again that God is walking with you. During difficult seasons, how do you tend to abandon God's presence like the Israelites did? What do you turn to instead of God's presence? How can we become more like Moses, who wasn't satisfied that the people he loved would go forward without God's presence? Is God inviting you to pray or advocate for others who need God's presence? Take a few minutes now as you walk to hold these people before God. So what was going to be the next step on Patrick's pilgrimage path? He had found his root, his spiritual source, his strength in following the three-person Christian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But this was not the only belief in the land. In a sense, Patrick was at a turning point on Kirkpatrick, both for himself and for Ireland. Which direction would he and Ireland go? Patrick, too, 
clung to God's presence and God's path. After 40 days, he made his way down Kilpatrick. Perhaps the path down from the mountaintop was ill-defined, as it is today. But rooted in God's presence, Patrick continued walking. Rooted in God's presence, Patrick could trust that God would direct his journey. As it turned out, he walked over 20 miles until he arrived at a community now known as Ballantubber. The community there worshipped the sun god, and Patrick shared the gospel of Jesus with them, telling them about the God who created the sun. The story says that the whole community responded together to Patrick's message, and Patrick baptized them in the name of the Trinity. The way of Patrick was one of continued sharing about Jesus, the one who calls himself the way, and promised to guide all those who believe in him through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Patrick's path down the mountain would become a path of Christian pilgrimage for thousands of people. We made our way down Crowed Patrick in the thick fog that had descended upon us at the summit. On the back side of the mountain, the fog lifted, and we could see down to the sparkling water of the bay in the distance. We could see the main road that ran along the shore, the road to which we ultimately needed to go. However, when the clouds lifted, we could also see clearly that we were not on a trail. We had lost the path in the fog. In one sense, it was obvious where we needed to go. There were no trees or bushes blocking our view. We could see the road below. But we had lost the well-worn path that would take us there. We didn't know what to do. It was so windy, we couldn't even hear each other. So the eleven of us began carving our own ways down. I was very aware of the rugged terrain. The lumpy land threatened to grab my ankles and pull me down into the muck. I was tired, still frustrated, just trying not to fall. I was in the middle of the pack and began to look around. Ahead of me were those seemingly with no fear, letting momentum carry their bodies down with growing speed. Behind me were those watching over us all. I imagined they were praying relentlessly as the people in front became tinier with each passing moment. We were pretty much lost, but we were together. Together we were lost. Together we continued on, putting one foot in front of the other. That's when I was reminded of the power of presence. At the top of the mountain, after a hard climb, I was in awe of the beauty of God's creation. I'd felt the Spirit's presence. Now, stepping in squishy, marshy bits, lost, I laughed at myself. I so easily scolded the fog for taking away my sense of wonder. But now, with the real possibility of falling into the mud, I saw things differently. Though I could not directly hear my fellow travelers, I knew they were with me, and that was comforting.
Was it not the same in my life? Fog comes in and out, but just as I chose to look up and see the others journeying alongside me, I realized I could choose to look up beyond my own feet and see God with me. That moment changed how I hoped to go through life, to be reminded that while I can't change what surrounds me, I can embrace a new posture. When I feel lost and alone, I want to ask who is here with me? God's creation, God's people, God's spirit. In the moments when I pause to do so, I find gratitude. I feel rooted. Without fail, there are going to be times when the path ahead of us is unclear and cloudy, whether that is by our own doing or not. There are going to be times when we wander away from God's path, like the people of Israel did. But even when we drift from God's life-giving path due to our own sins or poor choices, we can take comfort that God will continue to be present with us, drawing us back just as he did with the Israelites whenever they strayed. Look, he says to us, ask where the good way is and walk in it. At other times, we will be uprooted by external forces, stripped of the things that give us a sense of security. Perhaps our sense of certainty and confidence about the future is stripped away on a communal scale by a pandemic or by political, racial, or economic unrest and trauma. Or maybe it is stripped away by something that we experience individually. Or maybe it is some combination of the above. And we are left exhausted and worn down. We are left needing to navigate terrain without a clear path. But God's invitation still stands. Seek his presence and his way, and you will find rest for your souls. In the midst of uncertainty, Patrick, Moses, Alexis, and Sarah's stories invite us to seek God's presence. Patrick knew that he needed to seek God on that high place for those 40 days and 40 nights. He knew that he needed that time of preparation. He needed to be grounded in the power of God's Spirit. He needed to be rooted in God's presence in order to follow God into the unknown. And after his 40 days and nights on Mount Sinai with God, Moses knew that he needed God's presence to go forward. He clung tenaciously to God's presence. If we want to be people who can move forward when the way before us is unclear and when we are thrust into situations that are unprecedented, if we want to be people who can trust God to lead us into the unfamiliar, 
then we must become people who seek out God on the mountaintops. Not to experience a spiritual high, but to be grounded in the presence of the God who is solid when our footing is unstable. The God who invites us to delight in his beauty in spite of our anxieties. The God who guides us as we navigate the fog. We need to be grounded in the God who says, yes, I will go with you. Most of us are probably not walking up an actual mountain today, but friends, I pray that this walk is a thin place for you, wherever you are. I pray that as you walk today, you would know in your body and soul that God goes with you. Sometimes God's presence might feel close. Sometimes God's presence might feel faint. Wherever you are today, let this prayer of Patrick remind you that Christ is before you, Christ is behind you, Christ is within you, Christ is beneath you, Christ is above you, Christ is to the right and to the left of you. In your lying, in your sitting, in your walking, in your waking, Christ is with you. What are the places you especially need God's presence to be with you? How do you sense God wants to be with you in your fear, questions, anxieties, or vulnerabilities? Where have you sensed God being with you already? How are you being invited to move forward with God's presence?
As our time draws to a close, Sarah, whom we heard from at the beginning of our walk, is back to bless you with another version of St. Patrick's breastplate. We can imagine Patrick praying this kind of prayer as he descended Cro-Patrick, calling upon God's presence to be with him. As you step forward into whatever circumstances in which you find yourself, perhaps this prayer could be your reminder to cling to God's presence on your own path. I bind unto myself today the strong name of the Trinity by invocation of the same, the three in one and one in three. I bind unto myself today the virtues of the starlit heaven, the glorious sun's life-giving ray, the whiteness of the moon at even, the flashing of the lightning free, the whirling wind's tempestuous shocks, the stable earth, the deep salt sea, around the old eternal rocks. I bind unto myself today the power of God to hold and lead, his eye to watch, his might to stay, his ear to hearken to my need, the wisdom of my God to teach, his hand to guide, his shield to ward, the word of God to give me speech, his heavenly host to be my guard. Christ be with me, Christ within me, Christ behind me, Christ before me, Christ beside me, Christ to win me, Christ to comfort and restore me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ in quiet, Christ in danger, Christ in hearts of all that love me, Christ in mouth of friend and stranger. I bind unto myself the name, the strong name of the Trinity, by invocation of the same, the three in one and one in three, of whom all nature hath creation. Eternal Father, Spirit, Word, praise to the Lord of my salvation. Salvation is of Christ the Lord. 